0: Welcome, I'm Sirus Afshar, and this is the Wigos Informal Economy Podcast, Social Protection. In this podcast, we will discuss some of the most pressing issues related to the linkages between the informal economy and social protection, including debates around workers' health provision, pension schemes for older workers, as well as childcare systems and other social protection policies for informal workers in order to improve their livelihoods. Ending this episode. The COVID 19 pandemic has affected the world in many ways. People all around the globe had to adapt to this new reality, and it was no different for informal workers' leaders that struggled to improve their organizational strength. Capacity building, one of the key aspects to increase the voice and visibility of workers also had to be done differently. Traditional in-person events, such as exchanges, field visits or in-person training sessions had to be pushed back to give room to this virtual learning environment. And new tools were created to enable better experiences and to bring people closer despite the social distancing. In this context, StreetNet International and WIGO rolled out last year a 7-week pilot training on social protection with informal workers leaders from 11 Anglophone and Francophone African countries. The course enabled these workers to increase their grasp on social protection issues to keep improving their advocacy efforts on the ground while there were still travel restrictions in place to talk about the potential and challenges of online training for informal workers and to tell us more about this online course on social protection for informal workers we invited three guests. First, you will listen to our talk with Sandra Van Niekerk. Sandra is an independent education management professional and she worked closely with StreetNet and Wigo in the development of the online material for both the English and French courses. In the second part, I talked to Maida Vanucci. Maida is StreetNet organizer for the Americas and responsible for the workers' education strategy of StreetNet. And finally, I have talked to Venance Majula. Venance is an informal worker and media and communication officer at TWICO, the Tanzania Union of Industrial and Commercial Workers. And he was one of the participants of the course. And now, let's hear the first part of this episode with Sandra Van Niekerk. Sandra Van Niekerk, welcome to our podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Cyrus. It's great to be here.
0: Great. So let's dive right into it. So, Sandra, could you please explain to us what was your role on this online course for informal workers?
1: So, my role was to develop the material. You know, StreetNet and WeGo have a huge amount of material on social protection. They've written, they've developed, you know, lots of materials of various kinds. My role was to try and take that and develop it into a course that could be run for participants to deepen the understanding around social protection particularly focused around developing a solid understanding of social protection in order to develop a strategy around how to fight for social protection in their own countries.
0: So what was The main challenge you faced when you were preparing the course material for this public of informal workers from different African countries.
1: So I think the main challenge is always to find a way to develop the material that can speak to all the different participants from different countries, but without making it either too general, so that it's of very little value to them because it's kind of so general, but also not making it so specific that it becomes irrelevant to some of the countries. So I think it's that challenge of finding a way of developing the material that can speak to everybody's reality and everybody's experience. The other challenge was to try and find ways, particularly because we were doing it online, and this was the first time that many of the participants were involved in an online course so we had to find ways of doing it online that recognized the reality that not everybody was always that familiar with with online learning that familiar with technology and you know using methods that could keep them involved and active so i think those were some of the challenges that we faced
0: Did you have to think about any kind of adaptation regarding both digital literacy and and access to internet when you were designing the course
1: yes i think we realized very quickly that we were going to need to have before we actually got into the main course we needed to have a session on familiarizing people with the digital landscape with how to use zoom how to use the ebooks because we were you know we were using ebooks as as the basis for the materials and the activities how to use the various digital methods that we were trying. So I think it was very important to have a session familiarizing people with that. I think from StreetNet side, I think there was a need to provide some kind of support in terms of data, connectivity, etc. And then I think the other way that we had to adapt this was, you know, normally I think with when you do a face-to-face course you can go a whole day you can run the course over a whole day when it's online you can't keep people online for a whole day so we had to you know we we, we ran them as two-hour sessions spread over a number of weeks but that means you have to think very carefully about what content you're going to deal with and how you're going to deal with it in order to maximize those two hours and make them a kind of a a meaningful learning to hours. So I think that that was quite quite challenging. Um, so I think that was some of the the, the main challenges.
0: The course was uh, relatively long. It lasted for seven sessions overall and spread across two months. What were, were there any instruments that you use to keep the group engaged in this period? So
1: the approach to developing the educational material was to make it as participatory as possible so that's always the approach I would bring to developing educational material you need to make it participatory you need to as far as possible start with people's experience draw on the experience and build on that experience as a way of expanding knowledge you know giving people a space to reflect and develop strategy so I think for when we were doing it online I think the challenge became to keep it participatory so to try and introduce and maintain participatory methodology even within those two hours. So doing things like getting people to engage through a tool like Padlet where they could write down their thoughts, their ideas, you know, they could write in Padlet, they could write in the chat, they could speak. So to try and get people to engage around the ideas potentially breaking them into groups so so that was one set of of approaches that we used to try and within the 2 hour session use a range of methodologies which made sure that people could participate as much as possible I think the other thing that we did to try and make sure that people were maintained an interest and a commitment to the course was to give them activities to do in between the two hour sessions. So each week we would end up asking them to to do some homework, as it were. And then they came back the following week to report on that. And it was very practical stuff. It was very useful stuff that we were asking them to do, which could help them build their strategy around social protection, you know, what particular forms of social protection they were looking at. So it was very practical. And that, I think, helped keep them engaged in between the sessions so that the sessions themselves then became more meaningful and then i think we tried to use the ebooks which was a, a book that they they accessed online which they could easily access on their phones and we tried to make those ebooks where we collected the material for and the activities for each week as engaging as possible you know so that it was interesting for them and captivated sort of attention and interest so i think those were some of the ways we tried to have as participatory approach as possible even though it was online
0: right you you mentioned padlets and then you mentioned also the ebook What were the main lessons you've learned from each of these methods concerning uh, informal workers and capacity building for them?
1: Um, We tried to use the sort of technological tools that we had access to, like Padlet, which can be visually very engaging and allows them to see their voice being reflected on the screen, so as they typing into Padlet, or as we are typing into Padlet, what they are saying, what the participants are saying, you know their voice is appearing on the screen, so I think that was a very um, important way of affirming. The, the voice of an experience of the participants and in the same vein we used to try and always start each session with uh, feedback from them you know information that they'd gathered uh, how they were feeling about the course and so on the the ebook is I think an, an incredibly powerful way of sharing information because it's a way of collecting a lot of resources. So you can put in the ebook, you can put links to articles, you can embed PDFs or documents or articles. You can link in Google Forms so that people can provide feedback instantaneously. Um, so you, it's a way of collecting a range of, of very useful and important materials and laying it out in a way that is easy for people to follow and connect with. And all they have to do is click on a link and it opens up on their phone. So obviously it uses some data, but I think you know it's not too data heavy and it's something that can be accessed when people are, are have got access to Wi-Fi. So it was a question of trying to find the, the technical digital tools that could fulfill educational objectives of participation starting from participants own experience you know the sort of basic popular education approaches that we might want to engage in in such a course
0: what sense did you make of of the overall assessment of the workers from the course, in relation to its objectives
1: I mean I think there were it was it was kind of overwhelmingly very positive. The consistent response was that it, it met its objectives that people felt they had far more knowledge and understanding of social protection, and that the course had allowed them to think through in their own sort of specific country a, a kind of a strategy. Around social protection that they could pursue in their organisation. So I think on an individual level, people found it—you know—the the feedback was very positive. And I think on an organisational level, the feedback was also very positive because we had designed the course so that people from—you know—from the same organisation coming onto the course would work together around developing the strategy. And so I think the course had a very powerful organisational benefits as well, and and, be, and, and powerful um, organizational outcome as well, in that they were able to come out of the course with a solid foundation of understanding, but also the beginnings of a concrete strategy around taking up social protection. So generally, everybody was very positive.
0: Perfect. So to wrap up, I would like to ask you, what would you have done differently if you were to design another online course for informal workers?
1: you know i think it's a learning process so I, I suppose the main thing that i would take from from this experience is that you have to also recognize that you you can have a set of material but how it's actually used in practice is going to vary from group to group so each time you run the course you're going to have this different participants and where they come from, their experiences, their understanding, their exposure to kind of these educational methodologies is going to influence how the course unfolds. So what you want to do is develop a set of materials that is flexible. So I think it's to build in as much flexibility and kind of range of options so that depending on who your participants are, you can adapt and and you've got that kind of pool of possibilities that you can draw on to, ad- to adapt according to, to your participants and your participants' particular needs.
0: Sandra Van Niekerk, thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Cyrus. It was a pleasure.
0: We will be right back with Maire Vanucci. Maire Vanucci, welcome to our podcast.
2: Hi Sirius, thanks
0: for the invitation. Okay Maiuras, so let's dive right into it. Why is capacity building in social protection of its affiliates important for the Streetnet International, specifically in relation to social protection?
2: Okay, so capacity building is one of the major strategies we have in Streetnet in order to build the strengthening of our affiliates, develop capacities, to develop uh, skills, to train in uh, abilities, share information, knowledge, in order to make an organization that its leaders are able to have strong negotiations, to ensure their rights, to fight for their members, to have strong democratic processes internally So developing capacity building is important itself. When we speak about social security, we have uh, realized how important is to bring this agenda to the center of the demands of our affiliates, because it's a very comprehensive agenda and speaks exactly about their main uh, usual uh, demand, that is to have legitimacy as workers and also to have their dignity ensured, the human rights, because many times street vendors they are criminalized and they face only the violence and oppression, harassment from the state agents and also they are not recognized as workers. They work every day but they don't have a contract so they are not seen as workers by the legal framework. So the path to make governments uh, recognize and provide legitimacy to these workers as workers is to fight for social security because then you have to amplify to broaden the scope of what the social security is and include the informal economy workers the excluded workers from the labor rights so we have been seeing very much the importance of train our leaders on social security understanding information and what composed the agenda of social security to make them understand that this is a very powerful path to, to achieve what we fight for in the language of state, in the language of trade union movement.
0: Perfect. So what are the potentials and challenges you see regarding online training in social protection? for informal workers?
2: Well, the online training, it's something new for Streetnet. Of course, we have members that they don't have the full digital literacy. They many times don't have access to devices, to good uh, quality internet. So uh, we used not to really go for it. But then we had the pandemics and the pandemics are uh, challenged us to not stop our work of training, of strengthening, of providing information and build capacity. So we had to force ourselves to, to develop methodologies and infrastructure also, so that it was possible to do the training work with our members uh, during the pandemics. So we realized that it's very interesting and very challenging at the same time interesting because when we have uh, online training we are able to reach much more people with less resources and this uh, is very powerful so we can get to more members and, and to have more constant trainings in various subjects because it's not necessary all the costs regarding traveling the facilitator traveling and arranging a meeting and bringing people from all around the country uh, remember our organizations are mostly national organizations, so to meet for a training we have to travel, make people travel to, from all over the countries. So we started to develop online trainings, but then we realized that it was not easy to do that, because most of our members, they use mobile phones. And much uh, of the technology and methodologies developed for online courses, they think about the student as someone sitting in a desktop, in a computer. So you have to do an email, a login, enter a Moodle platform, and then you have to participate in forums. And many times uh, we're speaking about programs that don't have a good performance on smartphones and even require a level of literacy and digital literacy very high comparing to what's the actual level of literacy and digital literacy of our members. So we started to uh, test methodologies and we realized that we had to really invest in everything that works in smartphones. Many times street vendors leaders participate in a training from their stalls, from their uh, working spot. So they're working and they are with the headphones participating in something, or maybe they are in their lunch time. So, adapting to the reality of their lives. They don't have a lot of data. They use the SIM card, they don't are they're not using Wi-Fi, so you don't have to, You cannot send very uh, heavy material so that they have to download. Even the download is something that you have to rethink. So. With all that, we realized that we started to use uh, a combination of WhatsApp groups with Zoom meetings and for the reference materials, we had to develop ebooks. Ebooks uh, that work as, well, reference materials, but that you don't have to download. Sometimes the smartphone doesn't even have a memory to download heavy PDFs. So you have to use links, so it's uh, electronic ebooks. And then develop a design that is user-friendly, that don't uh, count so much on the, on the reading, that has the option of having the text read by audio, so those who cannot read very well can follow the course. And this combination of WhatsApp group as a hub for communicating weekly, zoom meetings and ebooks started to work so we kind of developed this strategy and was something that enabled us to to develop courses and when we started to do with WeGo, uh, the social protection course we had this uh, knowledge and it, it helped it to develop a right methodology and to make all the efforts of the social protection team to reach our, our members in a effective way.
0: So, can you tell us more about new online training methods that uh, StreetNet has been using? And, and how is this been working to improve the capacity buildings of worker leaders?
2: Once we develop this methodology that uh, works, uh, we start to face other challenges. For example, what we call the follow-up, when we provide the training, we form a group, we we develop capacity, we build together a strategic plan, and then the follow-up, how it happens. When we are not on the country, uh, being able to meet frequently, and follow up all the advocacy work being done by leaders so then we started to develop methods to do the follow-up also online Uh, also counting on uh, whatsapp groups and zoom meetings but having this uh, initiative to be close to the process to monitor the process to have an overview about what can be done, of course, always, the process being led by workers, because then we're speaking about their national struggle, but with this expertise of a strategic view of their process, to always having this uh, place for feedback, for thinking together, making sure that there is space to correct the path if it's necessary and to reflect together about the options. So this is a more what is new on the online training and also to apply this method, this methodology for other topics that we do need to train them. Nowadays, we are developing a Social Security, a Economy and Cooperativism course with SEVA. We started this process and because it's very necessary to have local knowledge about the legal framework, for really uh, building cooperatives from the zero and we want to be the bridge between SEVA and our affiliates and all the knowledge that India uh, inform workers developed throughout these years. We are having to, to create a new way of doing that because it will have to be a hybrid methodology, a bit of local, national, face-to-face with the online training. About Uh, the social protection, we are still evaluating uh, the process of how was this course in uh, in the African countries. We we are checking the the results, the outcomes, and seeing how we can improve this follow-up process.
0: Excellent. So, to wrap up, Mayra, what are the next steps StreetNet is planning to undertake? regarding online training?
2: Well, after realizing the, all the specificities of our sector and always counting a lot with our allies, like the IFEA, uh which is the International Federation for Workers' Education Associations, which has developed a working education uh, Moodle platform and providing a lot of support on this process. We are also, uh, we want to expand these connections to make our, our members uh, to use better the, the opportunities that are available in such um, institutions like the Also willing to build a partnership with the um, Touring Academy from the ILO. Also counting a lot on this new initiative of WIGO, the WIGO School, uh, which started last year. And that's also doing this hybrid methodology of a meeting once a semester and also meeting online for follow-up. So we, are, we want to invest in these partnerships to connect members with uh, existing online courses provided. And also, um, next steps, when we think about online ed- education through smartphones, we start to think about how technology can help us. And then we start to think about how we should invest in more technology, because this helps. Because our affiliates, they do use a lot of smartphones. They are in contact with this device. But they are trained to use Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram. They are not uh, so much trained by this technology to use other kind of uh, resources. we think a lot about how we could adapt to this knowledge that is already there. And this means maybe develop a worker's education application that can make this process of online training more user friendly and reach more people. Of course, this is just a, a perspective. It's not something we are already into, but it's something like that we have to pay attention that applications that are user-friendly that can provide a lot of possibilities for us for training. And also all these discussions about the gamification of the online education also helps to be more attractive and to speak a language that attracts attention to what we want uh, to offer. So we are thinking about that, we are developing partnerships and we are building our own methodologies, day by day, according to the needs and the challenges that are put to us.
0: Excellent. Mara Vanucci, thank you very much.
2: Thanks, Cyrus. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: Coming up next is our talk with Venance Majula. Venance Majula, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. So, Venance, let's jump right into it. So, you attended this online course on social protection. What do you think was the importance of this course for you, for your organizing work that you have at TWICO?
3: Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that being part of this cause exposed me on the ABCs on legal inclusion uh, from uh, an employment-linked social insurance schemes, because as informal workers, we fall outside of what is commonly uh, known as the standard employment relationship. We all know that we are in many countries, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, informal workers are largely absent from social assistance, uh, discussions, and policy spaces, So being part of this uh, cause exposed me to MAP stakeholders with power in advocating for social protection and social assistance in Tanzania, but also uh, specific systems of social protection measures that we want, for example, retirement pension schemes, medical benefit schemes, injuries and invalidate schemes, as well as maternity protection uh, schemes. The course gave me the ABCs, like what with the social protection benefit that we are building. So we had different perspectives, like contributory programs that might be designed to help workers manage income changes because of old age, sickness, disability, and other natural disasters. But how they will pay insurance premiums to be eligible for coverage or contribute a percentage of their earnings to a mandatory insurance scheme. I was also exposed to unemployment insurance and early uh, retirement incentives, which came out as uh, examples that are usually contributory. So training, employment intermediation services, but also the issue of wage subsidies. Uh, We are very good examples of active policies uh, that are usually non-contributory. So these are a few areas uh, that came out as, uh, as best sports for me in the course. But um, the issue of finance was also um, another key area uh, because we all know that finance remains uh, crucial to social protection, but it has always been a concern about its reliability as funds are are subject to, uh, to external risk and stuff. The issue that I learned from other colleagues who participated in the course were well, first to solve the challenge that little is known about which skin services and employment programs work well. Because many uh, pension parameters are not in line with best practice. Uh, reversing uh, this would have would have the potential to improve sustainability. So these are, uh, are key uh, supports that I think, despite being an online course, but it built me in the area of social protection, especially in the context of Tanzania.
0: And what kind of... Tools do you think the course offered you for your work at Twico?
3: The the course exposed me to different ways and and techniques, like how to solicit funds uh, from the government and other uh, key players uh, to run capacity building initiatives for the public, uh, but also collaboration with international organizations, global unions, and other development. A partner, but also it exposed me to how to lobby and advocate for uh, social protection in Tanzania because uh, this is one of the key agendas trade unions are pushing in Tanzania. So I think these are key three areas where the SP course exposed me to soliciting funds from the government and other actors to run capacity building initiatives for the public, collaboration with international organizations, uh, global unions, and development partners. Uh, we are doing a great uh, work with uh, StreetNet International for instance, but also across lobbying and advocacy. I can say these are three key areas and techniques and solutions that came out of the cause.
0: Excellent. So the course was 100% online. What do you think were the positive sides of this form of course? And what do you think worked well in this online course structure?
3: I believe studying online reduces a lot of inconvenience, like I cannot travel, I cannot attend a class. So, but studying online gives you access to th- these courses despite your whereabouts you're at home you are in a vacation you're in holiday still you can join classes i find it very convenient to me because i do not think of okay travel, early, travel it's uh, restrictions you know visas and that so it takes so many processes to to travel abroad uh, going for a course instead of just uh, signing up online and have everything done online. So I think this is also to, Im- to embrace technology uh, and and everything that uh, studying online has been one of the best models our digital world has ever had. So I think to me, it's okay, I'm ready to sign up. Another course, especially on social dialogue because trade unions, workers, the government and other actors, social dialogue remains critical Um, when it comes to uh, the rights, interests, and dignity of of workers around the the world.
0: Mm, Excellent. So the course had some e-books and also some presentations. What do you think about the materials that the course had? Um, What sense do you make of the learning tools of the course?
3: Um, Yes, um, the learning tools were very informing. Uh, First of all, as trade unions and as workers and as informal workers, we are living in a digitalized world. We are living in the world whereby uh, we are in the information age and the internet, digital spaces uh, remain key in helping us do our daily activities. So the course was online, yes, but being an online course is one thing. And second, how do you uh, 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 mobilize uh, the course in line? So I think the ebook was best to me because I was, um, I was able to access uh, materials. We were using Google Drive, whereby the assignments, the reading materials, and the e-book you say you've mentioned. We were able to access these uh, materials despite our whereabouts. I'm at home, still I can access this because I have internet. I'm at office and the office still, I can access the materials and the the, the ebook. So I think to me, this was very convenient. Uh, So as far as you have a computer, you're connected to the internet. And if you're not connected, still you have access to allow you to Google Drive to be accessed offline. So I think it was okay with me as far as the digital world and digitalization is concerned. So to me, it was okay. I was able to access, And the materials were very helpful and i'm still using them in my daily activities to make some references but also to take some abcs uh, when it comes to social protection matters in tanzania and we have developed different presentations uh, and best practices out of those materials that were provided during the course so i think this to me was okay and I was able to access them and the materials were very informing as far as social protection is concerned in, in, in Tanzania. And to add on that is that the modality uh, and the way the course was, uh, was operated in, during the course, I think it was friendly because folders were created whereby specific materials for a specific topic for a day were put there. So I think it was quite friendly to me.
0: Excellent. A lot of things worked well. So you mentioned the Google Drive. You mentioned the ebook. What kind of things could have been done better? What do you think could be improved in future courses? So I think the best practices,
3: examples, and approaches that we are taught on how to mobilize finance and other processes, in, as far as social protection is concerned could have been localized or contextualized according to participants' country. Because I'm from Tanzania, whereby the social protection system is quite different uh, from Kenya. Kenya is one of the best examples where social protection is vibrant in Africa. So I think localization of of these structures, uh, yeah, I think the materials could have been uh, localized or contextualized or maybe we have policymakers, tutors, and trainers from our countries or from our regions, whereby it could be nice uh, to share this uh, where the weakness is, where the uh, strength is, and stuff. So I think that could was missing in some sort, but it wasn't a big deal as long as the course gave me the ABCs on social protection, and it was later followed by a social protection exposure visit to Nairobi, whereby we saw by our own eyes how uh, things are operating in Kenya. Because as I I mentioned that Kenya uh, in East Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa and in Africa in large is one of the best example countries whereby social protection has been included in the national constitution. The government understands what social protection is and workers especially informal workers are even signing up to the national social security fund and the national health insurance schemes. we saw the level of awareness from informal workers but also initiatives and schemes that have been launched by the government in kenya so it was really vibrant it was really informing as a visit different
0: from my country tanzania excellent Venice Majula, thank you very much.
3: It has been a pleasure, thank you for having me.
0: And if you want to learn more about the Social Protection Online course for informal workers and the StreetNet WeGo Social Security Project in Africa, we will leave some links at the description of the episode. And don't forget to follow WeGo on social media, Twitter and Facebook to get the most updated news about our research, advocacy and more. I am Sirius Afshar, and this was the Informal Economy Podcast Social Protection. See you next time.